Welcome to the March 9th edition of the PFF forecast. This is one that sometimes events happen and they bring people together. And one of our good friends, Ben Baldwin, is here with us. Um, the, the analytics cowboy, the computer maven. He's the computer cowboy on Twitter and he is also the foremost thought leader on the Seattle Seahawks. It's gonna be a great podcast. Let's rock. Ben, how are you? Uh, I'm, I, it's a little complicated to, uh, answer that. I, I'm <laughs> grateful to you guys for having me back on because last time I was on the show, we previewed the NFC West. I took the over on the Seahawks and the under on everybody else. <laughs> Two of those teams made it to the NFC championship game and one of them won the Super Bowl. So I, uh, I, I definitely took an L, uh, <laughs> on the last show. So I, I thank you for not, um, ending our, our friendship after that and, and continuing to have me back on. <laughs> Look, as the, a noted Rams hater, uh, I had I've had to do my fair share of like what what were the Rams and like I I feel like it's okay every once in a while to just you know to to say congratulations variants you win because I feel like that was what the Rams were and to a certain extent the Seahawks right like the Seahawks even down to the game that that Russ got hurt like the Seahawks had a very real chance to win that game with Geno Smith at the end and it, it was you know kind of uh you know it was a microcosm of their season really yeah and maybe maybe things go differently if if a couple bounces go another way if, if Wilson doesn't hurt his finger if Jamal Adams doesn't lose his mind on that deep Matthew Stafford pass uh in week five <laughs> like there there's certainly a lot of what ifs but um yeah it, at the end, the, the Seahawks were, were not the best team in the division. Um, my my short bet on quarterbacks uh, heuristic didn't, didn't work out this time, but uh, maybe for the Broncos uh, in the future, uh, it will. So, first off, you are you are paying the price. The football gods looked down at your prediction, and they said, "How do we get back at uh, at Ben?" And the way that we do it is we totally tear the team down but i want to start here are the seahawks in a better position to win a super bowl over the next let's say 15 years today than they were you know 28 hours ago or whatever it is yeah i think the the long time horizon is well chosen because if you had said like five years or something, then the answer is obviously no. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't think the Seahawks were in a great position to win a Super Bowl in the near term with the, the Wilson Carroll marriage. And like they're, as we just talked about, they're, they're not the best team in their division. They have other good teams in their division. And, and even if they were better next year, um, the Rams probably aren't going away. And um, it, I think the 49ers are a little hard to predict because of the, <laughs> Uh, the quarterback situation, but um, that the Seahawks won't be division favorites regardless, uh, or wouldn't have been with Wilson. And now there's, it, it's basically a, a lottery ticket of can you hit on a quarterback? And, and we've seen from like, the Broncos and the Bears and like these other teams that have lived in quarterback wastelands that 
that can go on for a long time. So I would, I would say that the chances both before and after are probably small, but I think it's, it's probably somewhat smaller now. And, and some of that is also, they have kind of tied themselves to this vision of the Pete Carroll, um, I don't want to say dictator, but something with that where like he's running the team and I don't think he provides a lot of edges. And um, the, the other thing about choosing to move on from Wilson is that they aren't kind of having the potential upside of having like a, a offensive minded head coach that actually does provide an edge where now they have Pete Carroll and no quarterback. Yeah, that, that that's such an interesting, you know, because the hardest part I, I had with Carroll in like the last like three, four years is that they didn't really understand that they had the difference between a great quarterback and a, a merely a good quarterback. Right. And they didn't understand that, you know, they ran an offense as if like Ryan Tannehill was the quarterback or Kirk Cousins was the quarterback or, you know, they had a guy on a rookie deal. And it, to me, it was just so frustrating that as somebody who like enjoys the Seahawks and enjoys Russell Wilson that that they would go down that route and I, I fear actually right and now that they've done what they've done that maybe they maybe they go the route of getting a Jimmy G or they go the route of getting a Kirk Cousins or somebody like that and they sort of learn the, the wrong lessons from this which is like oh we went you know seven and ten last year and we go eight and nine with like you know uh Jimmy G or or somebody like that Marcus Mariota or somebody like that because they had two great receivers and you know, they do to get the draft capital here and the, it, it perpetuates itself even further. Cause like, you know, the hard part for the Seattle Seahawks is like, what's the way out? Like, what if they do draft a quarterback and he ends up being like one of these like high, like he ends up like a Russ, right. And he ends up having the fat tail of being great, but they mm. don't even know how to capitalize that on them eventually. But, but the, the point is that your fat tail is priced way cheaper per pound. <laughs> so like i think that's the interesting thing here which is they proved that they were kind of incapable of doing what a lot of other teams have done which is we have a really good quarterback we're gonna have to pay him something that's not a rookie deal and still build a team that competes and i think you have to look at one of the reasons for that as Pete carroll as schneider right like why was that the case why were the Rams, for example, in their own division, able to go out and, you know, get a, get a quarterback and pay him, even sacrifice a guy they took first overall and go win a Super Bowl? Why were the Bucs able to do it with Tom Brady? Uh, the Packers don't like playing in the playoffs, but like they've been a good team with Aaron Rodgers. Um, and so I think that's the interesting thing. And I, I would also say that if you're going to, if you're going to make this move now, You've got to go all in. You can't half-ass it. And I think that's my big question. Are they actually going to go full tank? Or are they going to try and rebound too quickly? And are they going to go draft, you know, Malik Willis at nine or Desmond Ritter or something like that? That's what would be my big question. I I would be pretty surprised if the Seahawks actually did full tank or even partial tank. Oh. Like it, <laughs> Pete, Pete Carroll does not strike me as the person to um, want to do that. And there, there's no, there's no one who would really override him there. So my, my guess is that he's going to do everything that he possibly can to uh, win football games. And well, that makes me very curious to see what they do uh, at the quarterback position. But 
like they're going to have a last play schedule um that they have their their nine home games instead of eight uh instead of last year so like i could see them winning some football games not enough to make the playoffs probably but also i i i, I could be wrong but i don't see them as um wanting to tank yeah so then do you see them and again this is mostly like fan fiction on my part so just like be like take me with a grain of salt but like do you see them like sending one of their draft picks over to like for like a Kirk Cousins or you know, Jimmy G or like, do you see that as being one of the ways that they, cause in theory, like, right. Like their defense stinks, but you know, they're not so bad defensively that they can't like get on the green. Right. Um, really? You know, if, they're atrocious. If, yeah. But like, they're no, like they're a defense in the NFL, right. They're not like prohibitively oh, bad. Um, you know, we saw the second half of 2020. We were all there. We saw it happen. Um, the, do you think like if they, like, let's say they threw like a back, you know, one of the first rounders, the Vikings for Kirk Cousins or whatever, does Kirk's good enough to like capitalize on Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf and give you like reasonable offense? Um, especially like, and this sounds really dumb, but like, they're probably going to re like the, you think they re-sign Rashad Penny and go run first and kind of like do the, do this Stefanski type thing with Kirk. Um, does that, I mean, that hurts the franchise, doesn't it? Like that puts them in like this perpetual, like, you know, kind of near the end of Matt, uh, Matt Hasselbeck's type of tenure with the team. Like, Oh my God. That, that puts them in like a rough spot, doesn't it? But it's, it's totally Kirk I feel like what they would so much. <laughs> What? So this, I think this that would basically turn the the twenty twenty three Seahawks into the twenty twenty one Vikings, and then all, yes. all of my my tweeting would be copying pasting Eric's tweets <laughs> from a year ago. And and I I think they're absolutely open to the idea of pursuing a veteran quarterback. And there was a report this morning from Aaron Wilson that um, the Seahawks are interested in Deshaun Watson, which I I think would be horrifying from a Seahawks fan perspective, oh but shows that like they are interested in winning and open to the idea of. Uh, not what? having Drew Locke as their their quarterback next year. Why then? Why then the Bobby Wagner move? I, I think his his cap hit was not commensurate with how much value he added on defense. Um, and they they've been planning for the the succession plan for KJ Wright and Bobby Wagner for a while. They they drafted Jordan Brooks in the first round, which was probably not a great use of draft picks. But and they, they've also spent mid round mid round picks on a couple other linebackers. So I, I think they have guys in the pipeline and he was just so expensive that his he was probably not uh helping them win football games relative to how much he was costing yeah i think i think the wagner thing is less of like a hey here's the direction of the team in a philosophical mm -hmm. way than it was what did they get like 16 million in yeah, gas savings for getting yeah. rid of them like that's that's a humongous amount that, mm -hmm. that that's also kind of like if you're thinking about like you know watson being an option for them like that's kind of the war chest you need like as far as money is concerned um i don't like i feel like from a fan base perspective seattle might be like 30 32nd on like the list of fan bases that would accept will uh, would accept watson right like i i, I don't really know if I don't know if that's the right place for Watson to go or whether there is a right place for him to go at this point, but yeah, me, I, I, was weird. I, I agree with that. I have an answer to that. Oh, go ahead, George. <laughs> I was going to say my answer to where uh, the right place for Watson to go is not, a, <laughs> is not a, uh, not a team playing in the NFL. 
Yeah. Well, Houston. Houston is the perfect place for Deshaun Watson to go. The yeah, the Houston penitentiary. Um, sorry, Ben. I had to interject. Go ahead. Yeah. So there's actually a parallel here with the other team that Jody Allen owns, which is uh, the Portland Trailblazers, and they hired uh, Chauncey Billups to be their head coach, and um, he has uh, also has unfortunate things in his past, and there was tremendous fan backlash uh, from the fan base and, and Portland and Seattle are, are not that different of cities. So I, I could see something very similar happen um, with the Seahawks, but we all, we also know from this that Jody Allen is not necessarily opposed to um, uh, having people on, on the team that she owns that have these um, questionable is, is putting it lightly, um, but things in their past. I want to take a quick uh, pause here to let everyone know you can get 25% off on any PFS subscription with promo code FORECAST, F-O-R-E-C-A-S-T. That includes the Edge subscriptions, just $40 a year, which is less than $4 a freaking month. You get the PFF draft guide. You get all of our premium locked article content unlocked for you. Our free agent rankings, you can completely unlock the mock draft simulator, plus data and grades for the entire 2021 season for 25% off. And if you want all of our great gambling tools, our best bets tool, our player props tool, which just prints money, um, and our green line betting dashboards, get an elite subscription, 25% off with promo code forecast. Also want to let you guys know if you are looking to spend some of that money, you want to go to DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook, where you can use promo code PFF uh, and get this great deal for the NBA from the official sports betting partner of the NBA DraftKings. New customers use promo code PFF, bet just $1 and get $100, actually, in free bets if they win. It's that simple. And if Sportsbook isn't legal in your state, it's okay. You can still get a big payday using DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contents for huge contests, 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 for huge draft, uh, sorry, huge cash prizes. I don't know where my uh, English language skills went, but uh, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF, bet just $1 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets when they do so. That's promo code PFF on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sportsbook partner of the NBA. 21 plus minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for your full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. You need to clean yourself up. And the best way to do that is with Manscaped. Trust me, you'll feel better, you'll act better, you'll perform better if you scape yourself in the right way. Manscaped has launched their ultra premium collection. You want to be premium, PFF, try to be premium. You want to look and feel premium, go get Manscaped and get yourself in a premium look and feel. That includes the shower. You got to make sure that you've got the right essentials in the shower, plus their lawnmower 4.0 that allows you to stay trim and looking good everywhere and take care of um, all the hair that you're, uh, you may or may not want to keep. You want to keep the one on top of your head. You want to forget the stuff everywhere else. Manscaped will let that happen for you. And then when you dry off, make sure you use their hydrating body moisturizer to in reinvigorate your skin. Plus they've got lip balm now. So you're never kissing anybody with chapped lips. Don't want to do that. Make sure you're premium from head to toe, from inside to out with Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with promo code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping. Promo code is PFF at manscaped.com. The power of attraction. It's now in a bottle thanks to Manscaped. All right, now back to Ben Baldwin. I'm going to give you GM control here, Ben. You've got these picks. You now have some more cap space. Uh, you also have Jamal Adams. 
Um, what, what is your pathway to the rebuild? You know, how are you using those picks? Who's playing quarterback this year? Who's playing quarterback next year? Um, what does that plan look like? Yeah, so it, it, it kind of depends on how the draft falls. If, if there's somebody who falls to you at uh, pick 10 that you believe in at quarterback, then I think you kind of have to do that. Um, and I, I haven't paid a lot of attention to the draft because I thought this was the second year in a row that the Seahawks weren't going to have a first round pick. So I, I know nothing about any of these quarterbacks. So you guys would know a lot more than me about here. But if there's someone we're taking there, um, then I think they uh, they have to do it. Um, if not, then like, if I were doing it, then I would probably try to not be very good this season so that I would have my shot um, at taking somebody next year. And um, I think that's not what the team is going to do. So that that's kind of where the, the divergence is. The, the other issue is they, like, they have a lot of holes on the roster. They, both of their tackles are free agents. Um, they didn't really have a pass rush last year. And the team right now is it's basically Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. And there's, there's not a whole uh, lot else to build around. So it, it, it's kind of a challenge there, especially when you don't have a quarterback. So who yeah, do that, you think? Like, I'll ask both of you guys this. Like, who would you make the favorite to be the the starting quarterback for the Seahawks in 2022? Uh, wow. So they're at 10 now. Um, or nine, is it not? Nine. 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 Oh, yeah. Um, 10 is the Jamal Adams pick that the Jets have. <laughs> My mistake. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's amazing. Um, at that position... Like the problem is, is it Ben's exactly right. Like if you draft, if you draft Kenny Pickett, let's say, right, he's sort of like a ready-made starting quarterback in the NFL, a la Mac Jones. I would say he's a weaker version of what Mac Jones represented. But you don't have the roster to complement that at all, and he doesn't provide you the ceiling from which to work. the The other issue is like if you take you know uh, Malik Willis, who I actually don't think will make it to nine. But if you take Malik Willis there, he's got the ceiling that I feel like the Seahawks would want. But unlike when Russell Wilson joined the team, there aren't a lot of good players. on Like when Wilson joined the team in 2012, there were a lot of like low key good players that were just waiting to blossom like Sherman and Chancellor. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Earl Thomas was already good and all that kind of stuff. But you had this isn't there. Right. So I I do fear that it's going to be somebody like all this, all this put out there, I do think it might be somebody like Kirk Cousins. Like I think it, it might be one of those where Carroll is like this combination of old and old school. And I think like he might just, he was like, look, uh, Russ messes around too much. At least Kirk will stay around in the pocket and, and throw the throw it to the open guy and stuff. So I think it's like a Kirk Cousins-like quarterback. So I, I might as well just say Kirk Cousins. I, I think Kirk Cousins, out of all the options, is like, a, a good case scenario relative to where they could end up because the other ones are like, what, what if they fall in love with Carson Wentz or Sam Darnold or like all these other options where I, I think there's a lot of um, possibility for somebody who's very unexciting if, if they don't end up drafting somebody. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. That's the thing. I mean, like among quarterbacks who are extremely limiting, but will get you to eight wins, no matter what Kirk is probably <laughs> the best of them. Right. Like it's not even close. Oh, yeah. right? I, I, mean, I would take really confident at that. Yeah, I, I would take Kirk for sure above probably most of the other options that are actually available to them. So, which would just say more about the other players. <laughs> do we think the timing of this 
tells us anything. In other words, this happened right after the combine. There presumably did interviews with the quarterbacks. You know, I, I and maybe this is just me because of what I know about Pete Carroll, but I think this is probably widely known. It's like Pete Carroll is a culture guy, yeah. right? Like we've heard the story about he walked in and, and TK, DK Metcalf took a shirt off. He took a shirt off. Like he's someone where personal connection and culture matters. Did he walk into a conversation with Malik Willis and they hit it off and then he sees him giving money to a homeless person in Indianapolis and it's like, yeah, let's go. Like, let's go get this guy. I want this guy to be our leader. Let's rebuild. We'll let Bobby go. We'll try and rebuild, bring in some pieces here, acquire this draft capital. Remember, to your point, Eric, they had all these guys waiting. They've been trading picks for known quantities kind of since then. Maybe they go, hey, we can go get a bunch of talent in this draft. You know, we can maybe as that's erroneous, but they believe they can make that rebuild with that rookie quarterback. Like I part of me thinks that the timing is telling. Well, yeah, and, I think oh, go ahead. Before, oh, yeah, I think that's certainly possible. And they have absolutely shown that they, they can fall in love with a player and give whatever uh, it takes to get him. with Jamal Adams being the most recent obvious example, but they, they did that with Percy Harvin before um, trade a lot to get Dwayne Brown, which I think worked out, but um, they, it was still like a, a player that they went out and, and used a first round pickup. So it, yeah, if, if there is a quarterback that they really fell in love with, um, then um even if it's somebody who they think is going to get drafted higher then trade up is still uh, a possibility. The other um, part of the timing is, is the Aaron Rodgers um, an announcing his return to Green Bay. And I don't know for sure um, if, if the Broncos were waiting for Rodgers news to finalize, but that, another possibility is the Broncos are waiting to hear what Rodgers um, was planning. They had this deal with the Seahawks in place, and once Rodgers was definitely going back to Green Bay, the Broncos said, "Okay, Seattle, it, it's time to do this." Yeah, they they've shown that. I mean, look, like all the the crazy thing about like the Tomlins and the Carols and the the guys that have been around forever is one of the reasons they're around forever is that they have stability at quarterback. And you're sort of like, okay, the last time they did something at quarterback, this is what happened. But that was like a lifetime ago. Um, the, the, when Carroll first took over, right, his first year was Hasselbeck, and they went seven and nine, won the NFC West, won a playoff game, but they jettisoned him quickly because he was sort of not. I mean, he had like what ten touchdowns, seventeen picks, or something that year, and and the intermediate phase was a, a year of Tavares Jackson and Charlie Whitehurst, right? Yep. And I wonder, and like in that twenty eleven year, that was when they drafted Sherman. That's when I think Chancellor was drafted in ten. So was Earl Thomas. They kind of started building that thing, right? And I wonder, and again, whether it's right or wrong, like I do wonder if Carol looks at that era and says, let's repeat this, right? Like we're stale here. That's kind of what happened, by the way, with Hasselbeck's era, right? Where he was a Super Bowl quarterback, very good quarterback, I thought. But then the roster around him atrophied quite a bit and he couldn't overcome it. And even though I, I think Wilson's a lot better than Hasselbeck was, maybe they maybe Carroll sees the parallels and is like, okay, well, our time's up. We can't just keep trading first round picks and win this division. Because we like we all talk about the Rams, but the the Seahawks were the original stars and scrubs team, weren't they? Like four or five years ago, everybody was fading them That's and true. we're like, well, wait a sec. 
you know, they have Earl, they have Bobby Wagner, they have Michael Bennett, they had Russ, uh, Doug Baldwin, like they were, and then everything else was scrubs. Maybe like that era is over and, and Carol's sort of reverting back to the only thing he knows, which is the beginning of his tenure here. Yeah, they, they did a, a good job of churning through players early in that time. Um, and, and even with quarterbacks, their approach was to like take a lot of low investment shots on quarterbacks. And uh, eventually Russell Wilson hit, obviously, but they they had those guys in, in 2011. They were, they were planning on Matt Flynn for 2012 um, before Wilson beat him out of training camp. So, um, that, yeah, it, it, it's possible that, that they try that again. I, I think they were extraordinary lo- extraordinarily lucky to actually hit on uh, Wilson with the third round pick. So like if they're hoping they can repeat that, then it, it's probably not going to go well for them, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure they're looking at um, the, the, the cap space they'll have after this year, uh, not this year. Cause Wilson is um, taking up, <laughs> still taking up a lot of their cap, but going into 2023, they'll have all these draft picks and cap spacing and, and kind of have a blank slate and, I don't think I've seen a lot uh, from them that suggests that they are capable of repeating their early success in, in the draft and putting a team together, but I, I'm sure they disagree with that in their own minds. That's a great well, point, it, right? So it will, we, we talk about Wilson like he's a superstar, but in reality, like their first choice was Matt Flynn, which is maybe even more evidence to the idea that maybe they'll try to acquire a Jimmy G. Although Matt Flynn was more unknown, right? He had the one game against the Lions, um, but, but, maybe there is like a little bit of like, you know, Carol going back and saying, Hey, let's throw a number of different options at the QB position here. Maybe one of them's a a veteran, one of them's a mid round pick. Um, And there are plenty of those kind of guys in this draft, interestingly. So um, well, yeah, it's a fun discussion topic to have, because as we said, there aren't that many coaches that have been around as long as Carol and almost none of the coaches that have been around as long as Carol have had that many quarterbacks, which is John Harbaugh had one has had one in his career. Uh, Tomlin's had zero. Um, you know, Carol, this is his second, right? And so it, it's hard even to think about the data there because most of the coaches that and general managers that have had multiple quarterback switches are gone by now. Well, it's so interesting because I always like to think about like the NFL is very reactionary to low sample things that happened in the past, right? So like we'll see the Rams do it this way and a bunch of teams go that's the way and we'll copy it and so i'm wondering does pete carroll look back and go okay the matt flynn thing was a huge error the way to go is to draft a guy like russell wilson <laughs> let's say what you want about that but like and, and for that reason he goes no we're not going after a veteran or he goes look it could have just as easily broken that matt flynn was our guy and russell wilson stunk and so we should repeat that pattern because we're not sure which one will will do the best for us. And so they go, you know, get a, a Jimmy G or Kirk Cousins, who's probably a little better than Matt Flynn, but whatever. But I still hold strong to this. If Pete Carroll is going to be the cor- uh, sorry the coach uh, long term, I'm thinking about him repeating what he's done in the past. I just have this feeling that Desmond Ritter is his guy. And that I, I, somehow, some way, that's a part of this plan. They're going to draft him in the second round. They're going to use those higher picks to move down or acquire, you know, the Steelers trade up from Malik Willis, whatever, and literally try and run it back. Like Desmond Ritter 
it's going to be Russell Wilson 2.0. We're going to go draft Richard Sherman 2.0. Jamal Adams is going to turn back into a startable NFL player. And like, you know, DK Metcalf's foot is going to heal and all is going to be well. That's yeah, that, yeah, that's – Desmond Ritter's one where the floor is extremely high for him. I don't necessarily think the ceiling's that high because – You don't think he's Russell Wilson? No. <laughs> but, but again, like all these things are just funny to think about because, you know, what – I think Ben would agree. Like I think the Seahawks need some uh, – just a large-scale roster overhaul, right? And maybe <laughs> – and I think unfortunately – and maybe and maybe they see it the way we do, whereas – you look at this division, the Cardinals, I think, you know, they fail at the end of the year every year, but like, I, I think it's reasonable. What, what, what would we put their season win total at nine? Probably. Mm-hmm. In that ballpark. Yeah. So nine for them, maybe nine and a half for the Niners, given they're starting a new quarterback in theory. And then I think the Rams are probably 10 and a half, 11. So if you're the Seahawks and you look up at that and you're saying, oh, God, okay, so we're not going to compete this year. Let's just let the thing breathe for a season. Um, that's probably the rational thing. They might, like I said, they, they, might, they could go into the season with, with uh, Geno Smith and Drew Locke, too. Like there's, like, there's nothing against that. There's nothing in the rules against that. And just kind of bleed out a year and let players sort of mature. I think the hard part about that is, we talked about this, you know, vis-a-vis Alex Smith, which is like you want your quarterback to be good in, 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 when you're waiting for the next quarterback. You want your current quarterback to be good enough to figure things out about your existing players. You don't want your quarterback to be so bad um, mm-hmm. that, like, think about the Giants at the second half of last year. You don't want your quarterback position to be so bad that you you don't learn anything about your existing team because you just have no shot in any game, right? So that's like. I think maybe an, an option for the Seahawks too, as far as like maybe the answer to the quarterback position doesn't have to come this year. Ben, what does this recent set of moves tell you about the Pete Carroll like era going forward? D- does this mean he's there for as long as he wants to be? Do you think that there's pressure like, hey, you've got a couple of years to figure this out? Like, how do you read? these moves as it pertains to Pete Carroll and his future as the coach? So my my best guess with zero inside information is that Pete Carroll has ultimate job security. Um, he has a, a, a high-priced extension, uh, which goes for a very long time. And I, I think he'll be the coach as long as he wants to. Um, if the Seahawks really were going to move on from him, I think there were, there were several points in time where they could have, and it would have been completely justified um, like after, after 2018 and in, in that, uh, Cowboys playoff game where they basically refused to let Russell Wilson do anything. Um, and in the same year, they, they spent a first round pick on Rashad Penny. Uh, I think he could have made the argument after the Jamal Adams trade. And then certainly after this year where they, um, yes, Russell Wilson was hurt, but it's not like they did anything when Wilson wasn't there. So if, if you were ownership and the people running the team and you knew that there was this rift between, Carol and Wilson about how they saw the game of football, which has been reported for the last year. And you chose Pete Carroll knowing that he's 70 years old and you're choosing him over a franchise quarterback. Then I think he, he really has ultimate job security still. And it would take very disastrous things going forward for uh, that to change. So I, I think, I think he's there and he's going to run the team how he wants, which is a, 
emphasis on running the football and spending a tremendous amount of resources to have a good defense. And that's what they've been trying to do without success. And I, I think he'll probably continue to try to do that. Would you do that? What would you do? Sorry, was this for me or Eric? Uh, you. Oh, okay. Sorry, I missed that part. Um, so I, I, I do not agree with that. I, I think um, going back to our, our earlier discussion, like the, the Seahawks were in a hard place because of their division and, and because of the state of the roster. But uh, the state of the roster part is a bit of a cop out because the Pete Carroll and John Schneider, the people putting together that roster. So, um, yeah, we can say the Seahawks didn't have a great shot to win the Super Bowl with, with Russell Wilson there, but I think I, I would have been much more eager to make a change at the people putting together the roster and doing the coaching than um, one of the top, you, you could argue about Russell Wilson's place among the, the QB pantheon now, especially after being injured last year, but he's he's definitely a, a franchise quarterback and, and somebody whose caliber is hard to find. So I, I would have stuck with him and tried to hire a coach who could make the best of his uh, talents and, and somebody who can actually put and offensive line and, and team around him as well. Yeah, the, the thing was, is like it was the, a, a divorce was seemingly inevitable at this point, right? Like there was, it was traveling in that direction. And man, it's really hard to think in a, in a league where quarterbacks can play increasingly later into their career and in, in a league where elite play at the position is increasingly valuable, that the Seahawks would have chosen Snyder and Carroll over, over Wilson. To me, that, that still seems to me to be one of the more baffling choices of this offseason. And, you know, we all just, I, and I guess this is like coming from, you know, you, you know, you're a Seahawks fan. They won a Super Bowl with Carroll. Like there's a lot of like goodwill there, but like at some point that's got to run its course, right? Like, and it feels like they're still living off of, you know, obviously, you know, great, you know, a great memory and, and frankly, almost close to two great memories. But to me, it seemed like they chose the wrong two people here. You wouldn't have done the trade, Eric. You would have opted to try and keep Wilson. Well, I would, my issue is given where they are, I think probably I would have, like if, if I had to have Carol and Snyder, I would probably trade Wilson. But that's just because the, you got sideways with your quarterback, and I think it's probably worse than everybody was letting on. I think probably the relationship was worse than everybody was letting on. So, yeah, I guess like conditional on the situation that they're in, I would have probably chosen the coach and court, coach and GM because the coach and GM were already chosen. If if I had to go back and and if I was ownership and I said, well, like I have a great quarterback who, you know, you can make a very easy argument the team is underutilized and and I have a coach who's north of 70 years old and a GM that has had far more misses than hits over the last, you know, five years, I would have take I would have chosen the quarterback. Like that to me it's I don't I don't think it's even close. So it, it, it to me it was just one of those what you sort of made your bet already with the decision to, to stick with the GM and the head coach. Would you do you agree with that? Ben, like, I, I'm kind of assuming yes, but like, if you're ownership and you know something has to give, like, what are you doing here? Yeah, so I, it, it, well, 
this is kind of a cop-up, but if, if I were ownership, I would have made a change to the, the, the coaching and um, general manager years ago. So we wouldn't have been in this position in the first place. Which, and, and I think there were, there were signs and cracks that were showing that the, these were probably not the best people to um, build and lead a team that is uh, that has a franchise quarterback and, and should be built around him. Given that we got to this point, I think af- after this season, if, if it was clear that it was going to come down to Pete Carroll or Russell Wilson, then I, I think I still would have taken Wilson. And the, the alternative is to just completely clean house and do this trade with Wilson and get rid of the, the coaching in general uh, and GM because we can point to all, all the mistakes that the Seahawks made leading up to this. And, and I think they are revealing of kind of an, an outdated or old school view of football. And if we think there's any grain of truth in this, then I don't want the people who made all these mistakes to use all these resources that we're getting from the Russell Wilson trade. So I, I think my preferred outcome would be keep Russell Wilson and, and try to make the best of it. My, my second best outcome would be do this trade and clean house um, at top. And then uh, what we actually got would be kind of, what I would least prefer. Yeah. Yeah. It like, like... It, it's just so hard. Like with the, it's sort of the Packers thing too, right? Where like you get sideways with your quarterback and it's like, it, it's like, um, you know, how do you come back from it other than what the Packers have done, which is basically like lay down for him the whole time. Right. But the, the Seahawks just never, how frustrated are you as a fan? Like the first what was it? Nine. They, they were six and three after a loss to Arizona when they decided to stop letting Russ cook anymore. Right. That was basically it. Yep. Yep. Like how frustrating is it to sort of like, even if the Seahawks didn't win the NFC West in 2020, they were extremely um, entertaining and extremely fun to watch. And <laughs> could you could see that team winning the Super Bowl, right? Even finishing 12 and four that year, defense improved because of a easier schedule down the stretch. They were never really contenders, were they? At the end, because of the, how much they had neutered off Russ, like to, I, I, they just ne- it was so frustrating to watch. And I'm not even a fan, but they were frustrated to watch because they just never trusted the quarterback. And, and I feel like there's a ton of ways to go down swinging in this league, and maybe it's just like watching too many Vikings games or you know observing the rest of the league or whatever. But it's like the worst way to go down to go down in the NFL is by not trusting the quarterback. Right. It's like, it's the most feeble way of approaching the, approaching the game, isn't it? Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, I I agree. And so I think about going into last year, Matt Stafford playing for the Lions. I don't think anyone would argue that Russell Wilson is a better quarterback than Matt Stafford. Now, maybe the Seahawks (laughs) feel differently. Maybe there's a few people who feel differently after this last year, but if you look at any metric, it's pretty damn hard to say that Russell Wilson isn't a better quarterback. Teams are going through their entire life cycles trying to acquire that piece. Like that's the piece that is the hardest. That is the necessary piece in order to have a real chance at a Super Bowl, as opposed to lucking into one with Trent Dilfer. And from the Broncos' perspective, like that's where, when I look at this trade, I go like, okay. Like, it makes sense. You're trying to go win a Super Bowl. Russell Wilson is a quarterback that go in a Super Bowl. If Russell Wilson played for the Lions, like Matt Stafford did, I'm sure that that he would have put up better stats and people would be saying more, you know, uh, 
vociferously the same things that they were saying about Matt Stafford. And so I find it weird that the Seahawks were like, yeah, he's not good enough. You know, like we can't go win a Super Bowl with, with Russell Wilson. But yet other teams in the league were like, oh, yes, we can. And I, I just think that's, that's so strange. And I don't understand why ownership feels that way. Like, I think it's absolutely absurd to look at the situation and go, the irreplaceable piece, the piece that I have to keep are Pete Carroll and John Schneider. I, I just don't understand that. I, I don't know if there are tapes that are out there, but like, that's the part that I, that I really just don't get. I mean, it, maybe they legitimately don't think Russell Wilson is like a top 10 quarterback in the NFL, but I think the rest of the NFL feels differently. Certainly the Broncos do given what they, what they paid for him. Um, any final thoughts on the Seahawks? Cause I do want to talk briefly about Russell now on the Broncos in another West division that is now probably the toughest division now that he's moved there and what that looks like. But do you have any final thoughts on this, Ben? Um, no, just supporting your last point is that like they, they should have looked at these teams that are interested in Russell Wilson, like the Broncos and Washington, look at their quarterback situation for the last uh, Broncos after Peyton Manning and uh, Washington after Kirk Cousins. They're, they're just cycling through guys. And that that's not where you want to be as an NFL team. And I, I'm sure the Seahawks think, well, we found Russell Wilson once and found our quarterback once. So how hard can it be to do again? And uh, it, I, it's very unlikely that they turn out to be right. And, and I, I think they, they should have paused to consider why, why these teams are so interested in him. Yeah. Um, so now the Broncos, they pick up a guy that I think we all believe top five or so quarterback in PFF grade over the past five years. He absolutely has been one of the best deep ball throwers uh, in the entire game. Now has a pretty good supporting cast. Have Nathaniel Hackett, who has proven at least to a certain degree that he will throw the ball off play action. <laughs> uh, something that we've continuously talked about uh, with Ben with regard to Russell Wilson and Seahawks. But they're now in a division with, obviously, Mahomes and the Chiefs, Herbert and the Chargers, and the worst team, which is probably the best worst team in, in uh, any division, with the Raiders and Derek Carr. So, like, what what's, what's the outlook for the Broncos? Are they closer to finishing third in this division than they are to finishing first? How do you think about it, Ben? Yeah, I, I think they're... Obviously, the Chiefs are the best team in the division and should be considered that way. And their their division futures are going to put them as favorites by a good margin. But I, I think after that, one would have to consider the Broncos as the second team. Um, the the Chargers have a lot of potential and were didn't make the playoffs last year in large part because of their defense. And we know a lot about how uh, sticky we expect defense to be from year to year. So I, I could see the, the the Chargers being a lot better. Um, but I, actually, I, I've kind of talked myself out of <laughs> as I do this. Talked myself out of the, the, the Broncos being the, the second best team in the division. So I, I think <laughs> between the, the Broncos and Chargers, there's there's probably a good argument for them being in that next year, and then um, the Raiders after that. And, and it's I think that's different from where Wilson would have been in the NFC West, where the, the Seahawks are a clear like third or fourth best team. Where now they're in the AFC West, which yes is a hard division, but I think not quite as crazy as the NFC West was. Eric, what yeah, do you think? Closer to, I think closer to winning or closer to finishing third? I think it's kind of crazy that the Chiefs are no longer favored against the field in the AFC West for the first time in like half a decade. 
right? Like that significance. I, I do think the Chargers are the best bet in the in the division still at four to one now. Um, I know those are famous last words, um, but to Ben's point, like defense kind of just does its thing every year, right? It oscillates back and forth. This is a Chargers team that did catch a 12 and four season just a couple of years ago. So it's certainly not impossible. Um, and two to one for the Broncos to me seems a little bit, I, I don't think I would bet those odds. I don't think that those are giving you good enough payouts yet. Yeah, I, I agree yeah. there. That that separation between the, the Chargers and Broncos does seem like too much. Yeah, I, it's interesting. I, who, because the Chargers and Herbert, I mean, Herbert was amazing last year, but his play did not result in nearly as good of an offense as, you know, you would have expected. I'm much more bullish on the Hackett, Wilson, that receiving core pairing, interestingly, um, than I am but with the Chargers, but that's only because of, like, what that offense looked like. It has nothing to do with Justin Herbert. Like, I'd rather have Justin Herbert, but if you look at the whole ecosystem, I, I do think that's a bit of a challenge. Um, it'll be interesting to see, like, what the Chargers are able to pick up versus what uh, the Broncos are. You know, like Von Miller's talked about. He's not certainly not locked into the Rams. You know, would he go back to the Broncos? Would he go to the Chargers? They're definitely a team that's in the running. Um, but I could definitely see the Broncos and and Hackett and that team competing with the Chiefs, who last year, I mean, look, I know we have the Chief himself here on this podcast, but they looked vulnerable last year. They weren't a good so, team last year compared to normal years. Like, they were... If they would have won the Super Bowl last year, it would have been, I think, despite having a down year for them, not because of any brilliance there. They're also still beneath the cap or still on, over the cap. Um, the thing about the Chargers, the Chargers now, according to over the cap, have the most cap space in the NFL right now at 56 million. And I know that those are, you know, things will change. But to me, that's like the biggest reason to be bullish on the Chargers is they have a head coach with the, with a clue they have a, a great quarterback who's still on a rookie deal. Um, they just got Mike Williams back. Keenan Allen had a down year last year, but still should be pretty good. Offensive line's better than it had been in the past. And they have the means to upgrade, right? The Broncos uh, have, still have some means as well. But the Chiefs are at a deficit position right now everywhere but the quarterback position. And, that, and head coach, I still think, like Andy Reid's great. He's one of my favorite coaches of all time, but – I don't necessarily know if the Chiefs are working at an advantage there that they're used to. What, what would you make the fair odds then for that division, Eric? Well, I, I still think, I mean, I think the Chiefs are probably 45%. And then I think, you know, let's round this up. Let's say the Raiders are at 10%. So you have 55%. Um, and then, so there you have 45% left. So let's go you know, 30, no, yeah, like, you know, 25%, 25% to Denver, 20% to, uh, I don't know. That, ben, that would, that would make my numbers? implication that four to one is not, four to one is, it should, so maybe it's like more like, you know, they're both get 22 and a half percent. I don't know. That, that would be, that would be, that would mean that betting them, plus, you know, four to one is a good value for the Chargers, which I, 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 I do believe in my heart that that's an actually good bet. Yeah, I, I would, 
if, if I just had to close my eyes and, and pick numbers, I, I think I would probably say the Chiefs are like a 50-50 shot to win the division and then maybe give like 20% each to the Broncos and Chargers. And then let's see, uh, and then even that sounds a little high for the Raider, Raiders with 10% left over. But I, I think I would put it somewhere like that. And yeah, coming back to the difference between the, the Broncos and Chargers, it, it does seem like the the market overreacted a bit to um, the Broncos getting Wilson when you look at like how good we should actually expect the Broncos and Chargers to be relatively. Mm -hmm. I, I think your 45% to me feels a little high. But the initial ones that I wrote down were 40, 40% Chiefs, 27.5% for each the Broncos and the, and the Chargers. I think it's really hard to split those teams. There's so much unknown there. Yeah. And then 5% for the Raiders. I, 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 I'm sorry. I just think they've got with that, how good those other three teams are. They need a yeah. lot of luck, I think, to win that division. Yeah. Um, but I guess, yeah, I, I, I have a hard time splitting those two teams, saying definitively I feel better about the Chargers than I do about the Broncos. I, I think both of them have about a one in three chance of winning that division. Yeah. The Broncos are hard. People. The Broncos are hard too because it's a great unknown how Wilson and Hackett will mesh together mm -hmm. and what that offense will, will look like and and how, how he will be as a head coach, what it will do on fourth downs, like all these little things that where we have a lot of information about the other coaches in the division, at least for the, uh, the Chiefs and Chargers. We just we just we have no idea what the Broncos are going to be. Yes. Well, you know, yeah. So I, I actually am bullish on Hackett because I don't think Hackett is like, what does Hackett bring to the table? It's probably not brilliant play calling because, you know, he had the one year with Jacksonville, but for the most part, his career rebirth came as a offensive coordinator who didn't call plays for Lafleur. But Lafleur does a lot of sharp things. And if you pick up anything from Lafleur, like, I think that that will be good for Denver. Right. Like, so I, I actually am bullish on him um, as an in-game guy. I, I, I will, my prior will be that he'll be average or better. Yeah. I'm, I'm a Hackett believer as well. Right. And Hackistan. part of it is what? A Hackistan. Hackistan. Yes. And, and part of it is exactly what you said. It's seeing the, shift in offensive philosophy that the Packers had and it should not be forgotten and we have the person on this podcast who has called this out more than anyone else Aaron Rodgers was not playing well Aaron Rodgers was nowhere near a back-to-back -back MVP until Lafleur and Hackett reinvigorated that offense got him back into doing what he needs to do and I think a little bit of that is necessary with Wilson. That here's the thing. The the biggest knock on Wilson, he takes way too many sacks. Way too many. Holds on the ball for nearly three seconds per drop back, is in the top three every year in sack percentage. Those two things correlated, as Eric, you've pointed out a bunch. But I am excited about a philosophy that is around getting the ball out quickly, saying, look, we trust you make these quick decisions let's run play action more frequently you have jerry judy you have Cortland sutton thankfully you don't have noah fant anymore so you can throw you can feed alberto 
and you have a good, decent offensive line. I, I think right now it's fair to say there's some some variance and you can't put them there. But if we're sitting here, I would not be surprised. We go into week 10 next year, maybe 13. And we're looking at this again. We're going, man, like Broncos are in first right now. And they're the better offense. Also safe space, guys. If I were to carry a running back that I took in the second round, it, like, again, we're talking about conditionals. Javante Williams is not a bad back to run the Packers. <laughs> True. The, I, I think this is this is all fair and, and a good note of optimism. The one the one caution is that Aaron Rodgers did not instantly turn around uh, when he paired with uh, Matt Lafleur. There there was that kind of first year of um, I don't know if growing pains is the right word, but he he wasn't right away back Fun to the MVP in there. Yes, the, the Packers won their division that year and got a bye, but as, as has been extensively documented on this podcast, that team was a bit fraudulent. So um, w- in terms of talking about what to expect for the 2022 Broncos, then maybe if the past is anything to learn from, then um, then we wouldn't expect the, the Wilson-Hackett pairing to come out firing on all cylinders right away. But here, here, here's the difference. Aaron Rodgers is... Uh over there taking homeopathic remedies to facilitate <laughs> healing. Not going to be as quick. Russell Wilson, one of the fastest healers, one of the most special healers in the world. He's got nanobubbles. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think that Wilson hopefully comes into it with a really open mind where he's like, look, this wasn't working before. I'm going to come in and embrace it. Whereas I think Rodgers maybe was – especially with LaFleur, who's a younger guy, is maybe a little more hesitant. But that, that's a very good point. And I look back to the Bucks with Tom Brady. We talked about what that team was going to look like. And the Saints were clearly the favorite. But we said, look, it wouldn't surprise if by the end of the year, the Bucks are the better team once they've gelled. And it wouldn't surprise me. It honestly would not surprise me if the Broncos were the better team here. Um, that... We're at, at time here, so I want to give Ben one last chance to redeem himself. We're not quite at preview time, but as you mentioned, a little off on your Seahawks and a, uh, NFC West <laughs> predictions last year. What do you think happens this year? In, in terms of the West divisions? Yeah. I So, I mean, it, it's definitely a cop-out answer, but I, it, it's hard to see the Rams and the Chiefs not – being the best teams in those divisions, there's like, and, and, and it, it's boring to say that the teams that were the best teams uh, last year will continue to be the best teams. But uh, in in the NFC West, there's just so many questions with the other teams. And then in the AFC West, I, I, they still have Mahomes. They have a great offensive line. They have Tyree Kill. And uh, we'll see how much longer Travis Kelsey has it. But I'm, I, I think the, the combination of those things is, is hard for me to bet against. That's good for me to hear because now my validation on the Niners ending up winning <laughs> the NFC West, uh, it's all I needed. Uh, whether it be with Trey Lance or Tom Brady, it doesn't matter at this point. Or Jimmy, G, or Jimmy G. Don't, or don't Jimmy rule G. out. Yeah, you never know. Uh, ben, uh, anything that you want to let the people know about where they can find any of your work, uh, the Computer Cowboy on Twitter, one of the best Twitter follows. But uh, anything that you want to pimp? Um, not recently. Uh, 
check check the Twitter at Fenby Baldwin and and uh, read the Athletic. And thanks for having me, guys. Ben, thank you for all of all that you do uh, in democratizing uh, football analytics. You sure. uh, have done as much for the space as I think anybody. So I think it's good to point that out as well. This is you guys too with, with the PFF to professional sports teams pipeline. <laughs> 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 yes, facilitating that at every turn. Then, thank you. We'll see you on the internet.